Page fright is recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. at the Andrew French in this of course is the world's only podcast that I host. I'm excited to have a fantastic guest for today's episode and almost as importantly excited to be back in the new year. Uh, this is our January episode. It's coming in just under the wire counting as January. I did what many people did. Took some time off during the holidays and so I didn't exactly put a ton of work into finding people to talk to at that point but um, luckily enough I was able to pick up today's guest's book um, over the past couple of weeks give it a read and get back in touch with her and her work. Um, Yvonne Blomer is today's guest and I'm thrilled to have her. She is a fantastic poet who we talked to a couple of years ago um, about a collection that she put together called Sweetwater Poems for the Watersheds with Caitlin Press came out in 2021 I believe and she was one of the first people I spoke to online Um, but I was actually in Victoria a couple of weeks ago and at Monroe's Books shout out Monroe's Books um, and picked up her new collection which is fantastic it's called The Last Show on Earth it's out now with Caitlin Press And uh, it was great. There's some water poems in there. We talk a lot about water poems, but it was lovely to read those uh, and get back in touch with her work while I was in that city and on the ferry home. um, It was just a real joy to rediscover this poet's work. Um, Somebody who shouldn't need rediscovering, whose whose work is really quite substantial and important, um, but who I had sort of not read enough of. Um, And if you follow me on Twitter, you might know that I've been trying this year, as we begin the year, to fill in some blind spots in where I read. Now, I wouldn't consider Yvonne's work as much of a blind spot to me because I had read some of it in the past, but um, I have been trying to fill in blind spots. And so this book almost fits that theme too. Um, So there you go. And I hope, by the way, that if you've set reading goals for the year and uh, if, you, if you have any sort of directions for the year that you want to take your reading, that you're beginning along that path as well. Um, that's something that has taken me some time, but to shift from saying I want to read, you know, X amount of books this year to saying I want to achieve this with my reading this year um, has been a big shift for me and, and something that I've actually found really positive and freeing to not have that weight of I need to read a book a week or two books a week or a book every other week or whatever. Um, It's, it's very nice to have that freedom. This is, this is becoming off topic. So here's what I'll do folks. I'll read you a little bit about this poet's fantastic um, bio. Well, I'll just read the whole bio. Actually, I won't read about it. I'll read it. Um, And then we'll get into the interview, which was fantastic. So here we go. This is Yvonne Blower's bio. She lives on the traditional territories of the Saanich peoples of the Coast Salish Nation. Her most recent book is the subject of today's episode. It is called The Last Show on Earth, and it just came out with Caitlin Press. In the fall of 2022, we also talk about this one, Palimpsest Press released Book of Places, 
It's 10th anniversary edition that features new poems and a new layout. Yvonne's poetry books also include As If a Raven, which came out with Palimpsest in 2015, and the anthologies Refugium, Poems for the Pacific, and Sweetwater, Poems for the Watersheds. Both came out with Caitlin Press, the first in 2017 and the second in 2021. Sugar Ride, Cycling from Hanoi to Kuala Lumpur, is her memoir exploring body, time, and travel. Yvonne is the past Poet Laureate of Victoria, BC, and ARC Magazine's Poet-in-Residence for 2022-23. to This spring, the anthology Yvonne co-edited, Hologram, Poems for P.K. Page, will be released with Caitlin Press. Here I am talking to the fantastic Yvonne Lomer. January episode, first episode of the new year, we have a returning guest who I spoke to last time about an edition of poems, a collection of poems that she edited, and this time we're talking about her own poetry. Yvonne Blomer is here. Yvonne, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Andrew? You know what? I'm good. We had some uh, fun figuring things out before we started recording in terms of like technical stuff, um, as is always the case with recording a remote podcast. But we're here. We're ready to go. And we have a fantastic book of poems to talk about today. I'm so excited to talk about your work. Um, It's called The Last Show on Earth. It's out now with Caitlin Press. And I'm so excited to get into this. I have a bunch of questions for you. But before we get into it, Um, I'm hoping that we could get you to read a poem so that our listeners could get acquainted with your work. Great. Yes, I would love to. So I'm going to read the opening poem to the book um, from which the title of the book comes. And um, I was the City of Victoria's Poet Laureate from, oh gosh, 2015 to 2018. And one of the last things I did was worked with Robert Bateman and responded in poems to a selection of his art. And so this poem comes from Robert Bateman's painting, Circus Train Nighthawks. And the poem is called Circus Moon, Circus Train. Candy wrapper moon, split winged hawks, circus train. A dragon, silver and gold scaled, its lashing tail, how tent and train drew coin from candy-flossed hands teased in by popcorn's buttery scent. This beast once chuntered across borders, now the moon an opening in night where blue-gray puce seeps in, here and then gone, a shadow A species moving on a field you see and look for again. Faithful swaying servant, rolling articulated, it carried animals and humans, mover of low moans and quick laughter. Every rail and tie a rehearsal for the last show on earth. Waning moon, night-stilled hawk, broken-spined serpent, the oiled skin and painted smiles of ballerina, clown, strong man shine through ghost shapes in splintered shafts. Light on this reptilian ride, absence of whistle 
on a field where a kid stands, frayed jeans, eyes rolled to sky as puffed breath moves on wind, luminous, empty moon, feral moon, night's coming, coming in. Amazing. I'm, I'm actually very happy that you read this poem to start for many reasons. The first being it's one of my favorites from the book. Um, another being that I had a bunch of questions for you about writing poetry about art and writing poetry about somebody else's art and specifically about Robert Bateman, who I have an interest in somewhat of my own. Um, so this is a great poem that you read and I'm so glad great. that you chose it. Um great. I suppose the first thing I want to talk about is we kind of get a little bit of it in this poem, obviously, but I wanted to talk about just the title of the book. Um, where did this title come from? What did you sort of, what kind of caused you to pick it out as, as like, this is the title I want for this book? Um, I originally really wanted um, to use Robert Bateman's Circus Train Nighthawks as the cover. And in my imagining that cover um, went really well with the title The Last Show on Earth because in the in the painting it's an old train um, with cracked windows and things um, but the family had a large discussion and partly wanted to let me use it but often he doesn't allow um, his art on the cover of books and also the painting is owned by a family member who didn't want it, which was completely understandable. Mm -hmm. um, but um, the thinking behind it is that in a sense, the train is a metaphor in a way for climate change, for um, where we're heading <laughs> maybe. And, um, and then I picked up, the theme of the circus in other poems throughout the book. And so I was thinking about having a neurodiverse son who is like, um, often neurodiverse people were pulled into circuses and just, yeah, that kind of world flowing through all of the poems in a way, or a train moving through them. Yeah, and I was super excited when I read this book for so many reasons, but to come back to sort of, I'll divulge my own interest in Robert Bateman. Um, so I don't know much about Robert Bateman. I'll be, I'll be brutally honest about that. However, um, growing up, my parents had two or three Robert Bateman paintings in the house and like on the wall. Um, and like, I'm pretty sure they're still there. My parents have not moved since I was born. Um, so I'm pretty sure these paintings are still hanging up. Um, but these these paintings literally watched me grow up. Um, so when I saw this name in the book, I was like, oh, why do I know that name? Did some Googling, figured it out. Um, and was like, oh, this is so interesting. And so I was looking at a lot of these paintings and pictures um, alongside the poems that you wrote. And I found it so interesting to get a look at some ekphrastic poetry related to an artist that I didn't know that I knew anything about, but I knew at least a tiny bit about. Yeah. Um, so it was very cool. Um, and yeah, so this is this is partially why I wanted to ask about this poem uh, in the first place. But the reason I asked you about the title of the book is because um, I do think that it brings up, like you said, that central metaphor that I wanted to get at, because um, this is a book that it's, for those of you who haven't read it or who don't have it yet, um, it's not like it's not an incredibly long set of poems like it's like 
140 something pages, but it's longer than a lot of books of poetry that I've been mm-hmm. reading lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and a result of that is that you get poems on a bunch of different subjects, but they do share these central themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to use that as a jumping off point for where we might go in our interview today. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to talk about that um, idea. And one of the things that came up as I was thinking of questions was um, the sort of finite nature of things. And you talked about the climate there briefly, but there seems also like an idea of death and endings is kind of lurking in the background of this book. And as a reader, I noticed it sort of brought a sense of urgency to a lot of the observations you were making as the poet. Um, And I wanted to just ask kind of about this, like, can you talk a little bit about the relationship between that sort of, whether it be the climate or there are people aging in the book or things like that sort of endings, how, how had that kind of influenced the observations you're making in the book? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think the poems have picked up on things that are going on for me. So in a sense, I might not necessarily be aiming a poem at a particular thing, but the poem Mm -hmm. picks that up anyways. And I think um, in these poems and in this book, my mom, my mom passed away in the years of the poems of this book, and my son got older, and I think and my dad is aging. And I think those three things seem to sit alongside the personal sits alongside um, climate change and animal loss. And I think, I don't know if I'm answering your question really, but absolutely. Yeah. Those things all seem to, yeah. And my own aging, I guess as well. So then what is the future for my, my neurodiverse son and for the planet and how are the two going to live together when I'm not here, you know? So those kind of, those kind of daily or maybe not daily, but (laughs) um, (laughs) concerns have filtered into all the poems. And I think that's, yeah, that's one of the threads of the whole book and possibly just one of the threads of how I live in the world as well. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things that I actually really enjoyed about the book is I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I I've, I imagine as many people have as we've just come or are coming through this pandemic um, or are in the middle of it still, there's a lot going on, but a lot of people are dealing with loss is the point Mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to get at. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of relatability in a lot of what's written in this book and the standpoint that the speaker takes in so many of these poems. And for me, that was something that I really appreciated was just the ability to be making connections between things that are lost and sort of grieving them a little bit, but also cherishing the things that are still here um, Mm -hmm. and the people and the experiences that we still are lucky enough to have. And it was very, very cool. And one of the things that um, really struck me about that was how that theme sort of was then applied to nature poems. And you talked a little bit about um, like animal loss, climate change. Um, I've read, obviously, as, as most people who are interested in poetry have, quite a few nature poems. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're a big part of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wanted to ask, because yours do seem unique in this collection, I wanted to ask you what you think makes a good nature poem. Huh. <laughs> it's, a, it's think... a tough question. <laughs> it is a tough question. So this, this really came up for me when I was editing the anthology. So the two anthologies, one on the Pacific Ocean and one on watersheds. 
um, when we aim to write about something in the natural world, it's quite overwhelming. The natural world is huge and overwhelming, particularly, say, the Pacific Ocean, but also like polar bears, right? There's something so outside of us. So I felt I needed to focus on a smaller aspect or some element of in order to take on the natural world. And I think that's one of the ways that poems about the natural world work best is when the poet isn't overwhelmed or if they are overwhelmed, somehow that's captured in a close detail. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, Um, no. I, I like that because I, I often feel I teach English. And uh, so a big part of what I do is tell people to narrow down their ideas and <laughs> when they're writing an essay to something more specific. And, and I often find myself doing that when I'm writing poetry, too, um, is is trying to be a little bit less, you know, making these sweeping generalizations and saying these big messages and things and more just focusing on, you know, what are the things that I know well and what are the things I can work with and, and really get a control of in a poem? Mm-hmm. Um, especially because, you know, poems, the length that you're writing in this book and the length that I write is, you know, often similar are they're short and they're, they're difficult to get a lot into sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so focusing it on one thing and having that stand for more is often the strategy that poets take. And, and that's definitely something that you've done in this book. And I think really effectively, it was something that I really liked. Um, and I wanted to ask too, because we, okay, so I talked a little bit about loss, kind of jumping all over the place, talked a little bit about loss, talked a little bit about all sorts of things. But I wanted to ask too, this book comes out um, very, very recently. And so there's a chance, I would assume, that the pandemic maybe influenced some of these poems, or at least the process of putting them out. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how, you know, some of these poems might have changed in light of that experience as you were editing them. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there are definitely some poems that I wrote during the pandemic and that are directly, you can see the pandemic right there in the poems. Um, I had strange dreams at the beginning of the pandemic. So some of those poems have come in, poems out of dreams. Um, But um, I think, you know, the pandemic did change for a lot of writers or for creative people, it was very hard to create at that time because everything just felt so uncertain and on hold. Um, but I think, I think the pandemic for me deepened my sense of climate change because it's because of human impact on wild spaces, perhaps, that led us to the pandemic and that will lead us to other problems in the future. And um, I think those things are very much a part of, of the book as well. Like, even in Circus Moon, Circus Train, these things that are, be, are breaking down and no longer used, like circus trains and circuses, I think that kind of thing was highlight during the pandemic, things that are seemed less important or that we didn't use or grounded airplanes. <laughs> and... Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely think the pandemic, well, just having a book out during the pandemic and during climate change, it was, it was a strange thing as well. Another human artifact in a time when there are so many human artifacts. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wanted to ask about that too, especially because of a lot of the subject matter in the book. So it's, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that in, in terms of, uh, 
how that might have looked as an editor too, going back through your own work, as well mm -hmm. as you know writing some of these poems during that experience. The ordering of the book. So my editor um, reordered the poems. That was his the main thing that he did, and he because because he felt like the order originally had everything coming at you at once, which I think in a way is kind of what I wanted. And he wanted mm. things to not all come at him at once. <laughs> so he ordered it um, into clusters of kind of child, mother, climate, even though the child and the mother are woven into the climate as well, if that makes sense. So I thought that was very interesting as well, that perhaps in life, it feels sometimes like everything comes at you at once. But when you're reading a poetry book, that can be overwhelming. And I thought that was an interesting edit as well, an interesting suggestion. Yeah, what a fascinating approach to it there. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I think because um, it, it comes back to what you were saying earlier, too, about, you know, if you want your reader to feel overwhelmed like you do in a poem, then maybe you, you craft it that way. Um, so maybe in a collection like this, I, I can understand why the editor would feel that way, too, in terms of like, there is a lot going on in this book. And so breaking it up into those subjects kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting, too, how you're saying you almost want the reader to feel overwhelmed in a way by some of this subject matter or, or, or the fact that they're all working together to sort of express this central theme. Um, mm -hmm. Because they are at, at times, they might seem like very different things um, mm -hmm. that are being discussed in the book. But in reality, a lot of the messaging and a lot of the themes and the conclusions of these poems um, are, are quite similar, which is really fascinating to me too. Um, and I wanted to ask about that in terms of like putting the book together. Were you like writing these poems with a project in mind, sharing this theme, or were they kind of on their own themes and then you collected them? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think I, I had done a chat book called Elegies for Earth. And then I had started thinking about a book under the title of In Ruins, which isn't a very happy title, I confess. <laughs> and then um, I had those four years as Poet Laureate. So certainly during those four years, um, my focus was on climate and particularly the ocean. And so I didn't really set out at the beginning with, I'm going to write a book about, but I started collecting them. And then I think throughout, I had been writing about my son as well. And I felt often my son would be in a poem about climate change or in a poem about animal concern or species loss. So and I felt like all those things are intertwined, our personal mm -hmm. losses and our global losses. And so, yeah, so it came together over time kind of naturally. And then I had this clump of poems and then the weeding and the ordering yeah, cool. And and actually, this is a great time for me to bring in. It's also time, but it is a great time to bring in my question for you from my last guest. Oh, so, wow. Yvonne, <laughs> my last guest was Cecily Nicholson, fantastic oh, yes. Vancouver poet. Uh, and she is wondering, she didn't know I'd be talking to you. She just knew I'd be talking to a poet. But she was wondering if there is an example of a recurring topic or theme or turn of phrase that you carry with you and return to in your work or through multiple poems or projects? Oh my gosh, that is a great question. Can I just say that? <laughs> <laughs> Why, you can, yes, but you Cecily. know I'm going to ask for an example. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, 
Well, I think we all have favorite words or like, I'm sure I'm okay. So I know that my dog <laughs> comes into a lot of poems <laughs> and I think also my bicycle. Um, um, Cecily. <laughs> I think um, probably I'm going to say it's a reoccurring what did what was the question again a reoccurring if there's a recurring topic theme or turn of phrase yeah yes to all three I would say okay. but I think the turn of phrase that might be harder to come up with yeah that's quite guess, specific that's quite specific but I I I think like I, I think um, often I use the word or phrase that has the word still in it mm. as in stillness, as in um, continuing to do. And I noticed like that, that comes up quite a bit. Yeah, that actually, home, yeah. That, that was one of the things I had underlined. And now that I'm like flipping through the book, I'm not going to be able to find it. But I underline and uh, somewhat destroy books while I'm reading them uh, in, in the sense of uh, a lot of people who aren't like fans of annotation, I think, are probably would be upset with how I um, work physically with books. But uh, I, I definitely underlined a few things about movement and stillness in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that came to mind as I was kind of coming up with questions. I, I guess I wanted to ask about that. I, I think for me as a reader, it was something that sort of reflected a lot of the themes of sort of a sense of urgency as we approach endings, as I mentioned earlier, that movement and stillness and time um, mm-hmm. sort of go hand in hand throughout a, lot, throughout a lot of these poems. But yeah, I wanted to ask about this idea of like stillness and movement. What brought you to that for this book or what brings you back to it in other projects? Yeah, it's interesting because I was looking, so time, yes, I think time is a really big a really big, um, I mean, there's a section called horology or a poem called horology. But I think the notion of stillness, particularly during the pandemic, I mean, we all were a bit more still. And I think um, there's something about cycling for me that is both movement and stillness. And so I think mm. there's that, that kind of meditative movement is and similar to walking the dog when he's off leash <laughs> when he's on leash not so much <laughs> but yeah. um um that i think you know it has that kind of thinking walking meditating feel to it for me and it plays in the poems perhaps plays on like i'm i'm here but i'm still somewhere else as well so there's a yeah. move, there's that time movement that happens And we do get some cycling in this book to come to that topic. Um, But we we also can get more of those poems somewhere else. I wanted to talk about the other book, too, that you uh, have got out pretty recently. Uh, It's a reprint. It's another edition, like an anniversary edition of a previous book. This is so cool. So tell me a little bit about this project. So this is a 10th anniversary anniversary (laughs) edition of Book of Places, which came out in 2012. And this new edition came out in the fall um, with Palimpsest Press. And uh, yeah, the cover is all bicycles, which is very exciting. (laughs) Um, The original book didn't... So I did a Jack Pine book in 2012 or 2013 as well. 
-hmm. that was called Bicycle Brand Journey. And I worked with artist Regan Rasmussen, and we made uh, two cribbage hands and a joker card uh, with the poems on the cards as if you were playing a game of cribbage. Cool. my husband and I cycled across Southeast Asia from Vietnam to Kuala Lumpur, from Hanoi to Kuala Lumpur. And during that trip, we played a lot of cards. And so <laughs> those poems are now part of Book of Places, which they weren't before. And I also folded in another chapbook into the book. So it's quite a different book. And then plus the original poems. Um, and an introduction by Anita Leahy, which is quite a phenomenon quite a phenomenal thing so it's wow. it's yeah it's quite a cool it's quite cool it's pretty neat I I am excited I I admitted to you over email I have not picked this up yet but I'm so excited to read it um, especially knowing that there's all these additional projects woven in now um, I feel like I I'm coming to it at a great time <laughs> yeah 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 and it's and the two books go really nicely together so um my son is now actually 16 but in the last show on earth, it ends with a poem uh, on his 15th birthday. Yes. And Book of Places, he's born <laughs> and is little. Oh, wow. So it's kind of neat to, um, you know, to pass through those kind of moments in life as well, even though um, the poems kind of go all over the place. And my, my mom has early dementia in there's one poem called slipping where she's starting to forget things in book of places as well so it's interesting how poems can be memoir too and they they pick up these little moments in our lives even though they also aren't memoir (laughs) you know like it's yeah it's fascinating yeah and actually that's a that's a really good point because i i've been thinking a lot about that lately Um, listeners of the show may or may not know that I'm starting to come out to people as non-binary. This is somewhat unrelated to what we're talking about, but it, it has changed greatly the way that I approach and look at poetry. Um, and so I have two chapbooks that are out that people, well, can at least get copies of the first one still. Um, and they are vastly different from the things that I'm trying to write now. And I look back and read through those poems and try to include them in some of the projects I'm putting together now. And it's just so funny to see the way that things have changed. And it hasn't been even that long. So I imagine, you know, if I came back to a work of mine that I published 10 years later, I can only imagine it would be quite a daunting task to figure out what do I want to add to this? Or do I want to add to it at all? What do I want to say about it or change? Or, you know, how do I want to frame this project knowing what I do now? Um, So I can only imagine that task would be both exciting and probably a little bit overwhelming. It is. And when I open the book, I kind of look at the poems and I go, oh, but this is an old one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I remember this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So it is kind of strange. And we did, we we re-edited, we looked at the poems. I pulled some out as well that I thought, hmm, not so sure about this one, you know. So that was a really good, it was really good as well. And yeah, it is interesting. You do kind of look at your younger self and go, oh, right. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I mean, even if it's not memoir, we, we write poems because we see something that we think is significant or we observe something we think is significant. And yeah. um, 
I, I actually, my grandmother told me, I've, I've mentioned this story on the show before, but that uh, when I've put out a couple of poems, one of my first sets of poems, a couple of years later, I was like, yeah, but I don't really like those poems anymore. And she told me, uh, you know, you might not like them, but somebody might be at the same place you were at when you wrote them. They might get something out of it, right? And so it's it's always interesting to think of, you know, it, it's easy to discredit our past work, but I always find it so interesting when people come back to and uh, in a case like yours, republish work from their past um, because it shows that that interest in their past and the person that they were and that they do or don't stand by some of those things or, or whatever. And, and so I think that task would be super exciting to take on. So I'm really looking forward to reading this book. <laughs> oh, thank you. And it's true, like I've, a student of mine wanted to buy all my books and I was like, I'm going to offer you a discount. <laughs> and she was like, uh, they don't have a best before date, you know? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess that's true. I mean, we still read poems by Yeats, right? Yeah. And yeah. Shakespeare and yeah, I think, I mean, not that I'm comparing myself to either of those two, but it is there. Yeah, it doesn't other people. Yeah, exactly what you just said. And I think also you can bring to your younger self an ear or pull in your more knowledgeable self into those older poems and alter change. There's net poems never have to be we can always change them. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's something yeah. I've struggled with too. Is is having I've heard from more experienced poets that a poem is never done. Like you publish it and you can still work with it. And I didn't believe that until I recent until I recently started putting together a collection that I'm working on, uh, and was kind of pulling from old projects and being like, oh, I, this poem needs work. Like I know it was published here, but it needs work. I want to change this about it so that it fits with this project. Like the poem doesn't finish when it's published, um, and no. I think that might be a misconception for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think even though it's published, it's great that it's published, and now it can be something else. I think it's okay. I think, yeah, yeah especially if you're exploring yourself in different ways, you might bring more to the poem than you would have in the past, and so that's, I think, that's a great opening as well. Exactly. Okay, yeah. I want to come back to your book, and so maybe a good way to center us again, as we're about halfway through, is to ask you to read another poem for us. Okay, so I will read one from Book of Places. And oh, I'm awesome. gonna I'm gonna read one called Still Cycling Asia because it has the word still in it. <laughs> and okay. it does that play with time and place and movement. And this one is from the Bicycle Brand Journey chapbook as well, which was Still Cycling Asia. No longer does she seem to be anywhere. Road a slash across what she sees. Sun a thumb of light that follows her. Dogs, or the shape of them, in shadows or mounds, in the humid heat of where she'd like to be. The road shimmers. Her tire tread hums and pops on tiny flint-edged rocks. Hollow sometimes this humanity, or perhaps she's in a movie, the one where a hand is played, all is lost or once more gained. She pedals over country. She spins in an office seat, perched at a window above a street. A bicycle goes by and she is on it. Peddler at the corner yells out, ban bao, dumplings, soy sauce, lemongrass, cut greens. 
She could swing her leg over. She could open the window, step away from bicycle, step out of this world, step back into the place she's always never leaving. Mm, I really like that poem. And I also, as I have clearly stated, have not read this book yet. And so (laughs) hearing a poem for the first time without having it in front of me uh, is a bit of a different experience from what I'm used to having on this show. And it it was really nice to be a little bit more alert to it and and to uh, be really listening. I really like the hollow this humanity Um, that sticks with me. I like that a lot. Um, Yeah. Yeah, What what a cool poem. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, so cold for you. But it's interesting to note in that line, hollow, sometimes this humanity pulls this poem into the last show on earth as well, right? So that concern for humanity and climate and all of that is in there still, which is interesting. Yeah, Yeah, these these things tend to be I don't know. I, I find any way that as I'm writing a collection, and I want to talk in a second to you about this, just because I think you're the perfect person to maybe help me with an issue I'm having. Okay, um, but we'll, we'll get cool. to that in a second. But um, uh, one thing that I'm noticing as I'm working on this collection is that there are so many things lingering in the background of my poems that I want mm-hmm. to explore further um, as I get into later projects. Um, so it's it's interesting to see that these are sort of, there's almost traces of things from the last show on earth coming up in this previous book it's, it's really cool yeah yeah it is and you you might not have like I wouldn't necessarily have seen that then. yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah it's interesting yeah um, so if you mentioned... see new things in your own work that means that readers hopefully will too and yeah Yes. And then those things hopefully will change in the context of what follows like poetry and, and it's so on. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. always fun to, to think of those things. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. I, I mentioned a problem now. Okay. I, don't, I don't know if this is so much a problem, but I think you're a perfect person to give me some input because Yvonne, I, I'm working on a book right now um, without giving too much away that is very focused on the ocean. Um, okay. so, so this is why I think you're a perfect person to talk to because you've mentioned already, um, you've edited some collections that are about water and all of these things. And, um, you, you probably have thought through this subject a lot more than I have. Um, and so I suppose I'm just wondering, like, I asked you this question earlier about nature poems, but I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you specifically about water poems. Mm-hmm. What, what draws you to them as a poet? And how do you go about making them unique? Because I find the ocean is like the moon in the sense that like every poet's got a moon poem, every, you know, every, everybody's got an ocean poem. So how do you, what, what do you think makes them unique and stand out? So I think selecting, I think there's lots of, there's so many creatures that live in the ocean (laughs) So I feel like that specificity is where you can go with poems about the ocean. But I think also, I mean, it is so huge and our reliance on it so profound. Um, So I think also trust your own response to it when you're sitting with it. Hmm. I'm not sure how helpful that is, but... I like that. No, I think I, I will definitely take that into account as I'm going Let, through things, especially, yes. yeah. 
So yeah. let your language, your, you know, let it just trust it to do what you want it to do, I guess. And, and when in doubt, pull closer. Pull closer. Okay. I like that, actually. I'm going to keep that in mind. Pulling closer. Okay. I like that. Pull and being more specific is, is good, too. Okay. I'm going to keep that in mind as I go through. That was my selfish question of the day. No, so that's thank awesome. Thank you for answering awesome. that. <laughs> I have to tell um, you, because you might not know as well, that I have mm-hmm. my, because I was, are you in Victoria? No, I'm in Vancouver. You're in Vancouver. So because I was the Victoria's Poet Laureate, I now have a rock that sits on the beach near I saw this. Pacific. Um, with a poem on it, which is also very cool. And yeah. in that poem, I use the word praise a lot. Mm. Um, and the poem is also in the last show. And um, I think when I use the word praise in the poem, I mean praise, but I also mean pay attention, look, notice, you know? And I think poetry, that's po- what poetry can do. It it praises, it pays attention to things. Interesting. Okay, I really like that. I'm going to keep that in mind too. And by the way, I saw that that rock existed, I think maybe on Twitter or somewhere. Um, and I I was like, that is the coolest thing. I, I think that's that's so, that's such a cool experience to be able to see your, your work. I mean, not many people have their work just on a rock. It's just there. Um, that's so cool. Mind-boggling, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so we've talked about a bunch of different stuff. And, and one of the things that I started off with was an external influence, which was Robert Bateman. Um, I wanted to talk to you because I was scrolling through the book again this morning and uh, got to the about the author section. And I was like, okay, I'm going to read through this and see, you know, is there anything I don't know about Yvonne? And uh, one thing that I saw was that you have a co-edited anthology forthcoming. Mm-hmm. And it's called Hologram for PK Page. Mm-hmm. Um now, I am very fascinated by this. I am a big fan of PK Page. There was a moment during my master's where I was like, all I want to do is write closas. All I want to do is write them like PK Page does in hologram. Um, so I'm fascinated by this. And I just wanted to ask if you could tell me a little bit about what this project is. Sure. So um, this is a project that DC Reed, who's a Victoria poet as well, had started shortly after PK's death. He wanted to create a mentorship in her name through the League of Canadian Poets. And so um, I think at the time he was the president of the League of Canadian Poets. So he did create a mentorship where money is collected by the League that will eventually mentor young poets, possibly this year. And then he wanted to make an anthology. So he created a send out and things and then asked me to come on board and help with the editing. And the book is beautiful and it's going to come out this spring, late spring. Um, And in it, poets have written poems in response to PK or glosses. There's a lot of glosses. And also have written short paragraphs and some longer essays on how she influenced them as writers, whether they met her in person or just through her work. Hmm. Interesting. I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading this and, and I'm glad to hear that it's coming out soon so that I can get my hands on it soon. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm always interested in stuff about PK Page and uh, yeah, definitely was an influential writer for me. I mean, I came to PK Page after she passed away, um, mm-hmm. but I 
very much was influenced by her work. I have kept it in mind frequently, and I actually still have some collections sitting on the shelf that I need to read. Um, yeah. So maybe I'll return to those too. But um, very cool. I'm so excited to check out that project. You've got so much going on. This is great. <laughs> yeah, she was amazing. You know, she was an amazing poet. And I ran the Planet Earth Poetry Reading Series for years, which still exists. And it's named after PK's poem, Planet Earth. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah very cool. Okay. Um, and I guess this this opens up to one of my last questions that I had written down, which was um, a little bit about ekphrastic poetry. Oh, yes. um, because, yeah, we've we've talked a little bit around it with Robert Bateman and now P.K. Page, who obviously used a lot of ekphrasis in her work. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about how um, maybe ekphrastic poetry might have played a role in this book that you've written um, and in your practice beyond it as well. Yeah, so I um, I really enjoy responding to pieces of visual art, and it's not just Robert Bateman in here. I also, um, for the Royal BC Museum, had their National Geographic wildlife photography, and I responded to some of those photographs as well. Oh, cool. um, so some of those poems are in here too, and I performed them with a singer oh, wow. <laughs> at a New Year's Eve event. Um, which was a bit wild. And um, so, so, but there is a great thing. So I think some of the parts of poetry that I really love are play and are form. And ekphrasis is another kind of form in that you get to take something else and respond to it in a way. And um, I just, I think it's a great way to engage with another piece of art. And I think PK did that wonderfully with other poets' works. And um, in the book, I also respond to a lot of other poets and writers. Um, so it's a real way to respect and enter a conversation with other pieces of art and other, other written pieces as well. Yeah, that's that's what I love about reading poems like that and something that I really enjoyed when I was reading this book, too, especially as I was Googling Robert Bateman paintings and yeah. <laughs> pictures alongside your poems, um, was seeing these conversations and how these things sort of influence each other and kind of create a little miniature ecosystem between the poem and the art um, that's super, super interesting to examine. So um, I had to ask about that and, yeah, uh, and, and get my question in. <laughs> yeah, and that was such a delightful thing. So I actually got to choose the paintings and the Bateman Center put on an art show with the paintings I chose and the poems oh, wow. displayed on the walls as well. And then we recorded me reading them so people could stand in the gallery and listen to me reading them. It was a phenomenal thing to have the opportunity to do and to work with Robert and yeah, his, whole, wow. his whole team. <laughs> yeah. What a cool yeah, project. Cool. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. We've talked about all sorts of things. And before we started talking, uh, I mentioned that at some point, Yvonne, I would have to ask you for a question for my next oh, episode's guest. Right. So as as I uh, talk and give you some time to think of a question, I'll remind you of some of the things we talked about. So we've talked about uh, ekphrastic uh, poetry. We've talked about editing collections. We've talked about the ocean. We've talked about recurring images, all these things. Is there anything that you might be wondering about from my next episode's guest without knowing who they're going to be? Okay, so I've been kind of thinking on this while we've been talking. So here we go. Um, let's ask them to go back in time into their own work. 
So when you read your earlier poems, what are your first three thoughts or responses? Oh, wow. Okay. First three thoughts or responses. I'm just writing that down. Okay. Um, You may remember, I don't know if I would have done this for our last episode because we were talking about something that you edited, but I do this mean thing where I turn the question around on the person who's asked it. So, so Yvonne, when you read your earlier poems, which I suspect you've been doing quite a bit recently, what are your first three thoughts or responses? Um, okay. So sometimes they're, oh, that's not so bad. (laughs) And sometimes, um, with Book of Places, um... Sometimes I think, wow, that younger me is still, those thoughts are still here. And I'm fascinated Mm. by that. And then sometimes it delights me in, um, I'm just flipping through the book as I'm thinking (laughs) It delights me in how the poems could be read. Like um, mm. sometimes, sometimes in a poem, the I is the poet, <laughs> but sometimes the I isn't the poet, and so it's play. It's fun to see that play happening, and yeah. Interesting, huh? Yeah. yeah, it's it's always fun for me as somebody who's relatively new to poetry still. Um, or maybe, I don't know. I don't know how you would categorize me, but I, I definitely don't have as much poetic experience as you do. And so for me to talk to more experienced poets about their early work, uh, and work from, you know, the stage in their writing life that I'm at, uh, is always really fascinating for me. Uh, and it's also very encouraging to hear somebody like yourself say, oh, that thought that that person had at that time is still kind of with me. Mm-hmm. Um, because what that suggests to me as a younger writer who's, you know, just kind of getting started is that maybe these thoughts aren't just, you know, thoughts I'm having because I'm new to writing. Maybe they're actually something that I'm onto here that I might want to examine further as I continue to write, um, which suggests maybe I'm doing the right thing. Who knows? Yeah, it um, totally does. Yeah. And that, <laughs> yeah. And that we have, we have wisdom that we maybe don't recognize. <laughs> maybe that's important to know too yeah that would be, yeah that is nice to know <laughs> because of course the book is 10 the poems the book came out 10 years ago but some of the poems are much older than that so yes yeah that's wow fasc- yeah that's fascinating that. <laughs> yeah yeah very cool um yeah. the last thing i need from you yvonne before we take off is just one more poem would you be able to read us a final piece yeah so Oh, what should I read? Maybe I'll read. (laughs) Well, I could read another Robert Bateman one, but maybe I'll read. (laughs) I did select before, but of course things change as we converse. (laughs) I will read one that shows um, the boy coming into the climate change or the concern for the world. And it's a short Kirtle sonnet called in the box from the World Wildlife Fund. And in a way it's ecphrastic because I ordered my son when he was very little, this um, 
this polar bear from the World Wildlife Fund and you adopt the bear and funds go to help polar bears. And then I wrote this poem. In the box from the World Wildlife Fund, there is the last polar bear. In the belly of the box, the bear's hollow high-strung heart rhythmed in plush down, a stroke of a black frown for what melts and what is dead. The boy's blonde-shod head hangs off his bed. He sleeps and snores. His toes curl, his fingers slacken straight. The boy, his skin white under the lantern of Ursa's light. Amazing. Thank you so much, Yvonne, for sharing your poetry today and for answering my selfish questions and interesting questions and all of those things. Um, it's been really great to reconnect with you and talk about your own work this time. What a joy. Yeah, such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Andrew. And I loved your questions. So there you have it. That was me chatting with Yvonne. What a fantastic interview it was, and I can say that very confidently because unlike a lot of the episodes I do, I recorded this one just a couple days ago. <laughs> Normally there's a bit of a gap between the editing time and, you know, when it actually comes out and the interview itself. But this one, pretty quick turnaround, and um, even though it's only been a short while, I've already been thinking a lot about, well, a lot of the things that Yvonne had to say and keeping them in mind as we go forward, um, or as I go forward anyway, through the next week or two. Um, carrying a lot of her advice and responses with me. Um, I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you did, and you like what you're listening to right now, we can make this official. It's super easy. All you have to do is subscribe to the podcast, and you can do that wherever you're listening right now. There should be a way to subscribe. If not, reach out to me directly. I will help you subscribe. <laughs> I'm not above it, folks. I will manually subscribe you to my own podcast. Yes, that's the kind of person I am. Uh, and if you are enjoying this and you want to let the world know, you can rate and review the show as well. Usually, there's a rate and review section as well, wherever you're seeing this. Again, if you're having trouble, reach out to me. I, I will help you write the review for my own show. Again, not above it. Um, that's, that's really important because that's how people find this show, is by seeing those reviews. And that's how people come to the work of a lot of the poets on the show, getting more eyes on their work. Which, as you know, is my goal in doing this whole shebang. So, uh, if you want to hear more Page Fright, you can follow us on Twitter at Page Fright Pod, on Instagram at Page Fright Pod. There will be more stuff coming soon um, as we head into February and another fantastic episode. Until then, my name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at the Andrew French, and this, this right here, has been Page Fright. <laughs>